Hello and welcome to Soderbergh 2828, the show on Talk Film Society, where we talk about all of Steven Soderbergh's movies and various other projects. I'm Mike, and that's Marcelo. I always forget how these things go. <laughs> I know. Um, I, thought, I thought I was going to jump in, but the, I also forgot how things go. So, hello, this is Marcelo. Yes, and we're here to talk about, uh, well, the 35th project, I guess, that we're talking yes. about on this show, which is Steven Soderbergh's new movie, No Sudden Move, uh, on HBO Max. Yes. Oh, boy. No, no theaters for you. Uh, that is a shame. I, th- I think we've talked about that before, maybe on Let Them All Talk, but uh, real shame, yeah. especially for this one. I mean, we'll get into it, but I yeah. I am not happy. I mean, I'm happy it's out there. I'm happy I saw it, you know, in, in a nice presentation on HBO Max with Dolby Vision in it and everything, but wish wish I had that theater experience. Yeah, I know he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, which but is we give a shit. Yeah, uh, I mean, Im- imagine, imagine the awe of uh, seeing this on a big screen and those like warped, you know, f- uh, uh, edges of the lens, you know, being so so big. Oh, would have been amazing. Yeah, like I kept on thinking, like you know, because like you go to the Cinerama Dome. Well, yeah. not these days. Well, not but, anymore. Oh. Yeah, you go to the Cinerama Dome in Seattle, and uh, you know it's got that deep curve and. I'm I'm not positive, you know, but I was just trying to imagine it, and I, I, I wonder if it would, like, c- correct itself on that on like a deep curve. Oh, interesting. Screen. Yeah, that could be really. Or just make it even more curvy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it would correct itself. Well, I'm you're you're positive. you're the projector. I mean, you've you've worked in that area, Mike. So uh-huh. I think I think if anybody would know, you would know, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, hmm. It, it might, you know what, you know what it might be more than anything. It, it might not correct itself, but that might be like a uh, a representation of what it would look like if it didn't do that uh-huh. on a curved screen. You know, they do like these things for some Cinerama Dome movies where in order to, uh, correct the distortion that you see on a flat screen they present it in what they call smile box where uh, it's like actually curved on on your your tv screen in order to sort of like replicate what it looks like in the thing i don't know uh yeah release the smile box cut <laughs> <laughs> of I, I, no sudden move yeah uh, it's uh Maybe we should save this discussion for later because it's it's a whole deal. This this whole yeah. lens warp thing. Um, yeah. There's been discussion on it already on Twitter. People don't like it. People have gotten motion sick apparently. But oh, okay. I, I I liked it. I did. I, I thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah. I I mean I definitely thought something was wrong at first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Be- yeah, because yeah. the aspect ratio is different from what everything says. I guess I guess this is where we're starting, which is good. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's it, just start here. Yeah, let's not? just start. No sudden move. Oh, by the way, let, yeah. let me give the synopsis, because that's something I remember we always do. I'll give the synopsis, okay. and then we'll jump into it. All so, right. No Sudden Move, the new HBO Max Steven Soderbergh film. Uh, here's the synopsis. Movie. Uh, movie, yes. Yeah, oh, I, uh, uh, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get to that. Also, let me write that down because uh, Soderbergh very clear about movie versus film. And if you don't know, Mike, I'll reveal it to the listeners too. He did reveal what he considered his last film, 
So for those who don't know, I'll say that later on. But No Sudden Move, the new movie, uh, deals with a group of criminals are brought together under mysterious circumstances and have to work together to uncover what's really going on when their simple job goes completely sideways. Oh, intrigue. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, stars Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, David Harbour, John Hamm, among others. Uh, solid, solid cast. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what is it? We re- okay. You pause the movie like two minutes in and you DM'd me saying, look at this aspect ratio and talk about the warped uh, uh, edges. And all I said was, oh, um, the aspect ratio, yeah, looked a little off because I saw a minute of it on my iPhone during my lunch break when it came out. And then it was uh, that morning that I listened to Soderbergh on uh, WTF, uh, the Mark Marin podcast. And he did mention, I think Marin has that way of talking of like, oh, like, dude, I liked that way. I liked the way your movie looked because like, it looked warped on the edges, man. And Soderbergh's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's the lenses I used. It's like, oh, okay, of course. Uh, but yeah, it was apparently the lenses. Um, oh, and Mike, you were like, oh, I, you were wondering if it was HBO that, you know, fucked up the master <laughs> of the... Well, yeah, you know? because, I mean, there were a few, like, sort of red flags. The first being that it wasn't in 239 to 1, which all the trailers were in and everything like that. So, you know, when it looks like it's squished on the edges and it's in a taller ratio, my thinking is, like, that should be stretched out, right? I mean, like, did they mess it up? But then also, like, there's black bars in the top and bottom of the screen, which, you know, like, like when you actually, like, look at the file itself, like, there are black bars on the file, whereas, like, a lot of other things on HBO Max like there are scope there are no black bars it's just ah. they put the image up there so i'm like okay the 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 black bars are like baked into the transfer okay. which is weird and it's like did somebody mess something up here you know and, and did, it turns did, out that they didn't no so. yeah I, I was gonna ask um do you know the exact aspect ratio because i just looked it up and according to imdb it says it's 2.39, which yeah, is odd. Which I saw too, which I'm yeah. like, uh, you know, so that, 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 that scared me. And <laughs> that scared you. <laughs> that scared me. And, and so did, uh, you know, but, but, but the thing that, that, that sort of like made me think like, well, maybe this is okay. Is like, I showed, I did show you some screenshots. Like I looked yeah. at the trailer and I looked at that first scene and you can see that it is opened up. Like you see more picture on the top and bottom of the frame in the actual movie than you do in the trailer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Comparison. Yeah. So it's like, well, I guess it's fine. And then, you know, listening to the Mark Maron thing where he's like, I thought something was messed up with the screener that I got. And they're like, (laughs) no, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, Cool. I I, I should have done, um, because I think it was back on our unsane episode i think i talked about like finding out or i don't know like i i dug into exactly what aspect ratio that was because that was unusual mm-hmm. um like with some like math and stuff i should have yeah. done that with this aspect ratio like find out exactly what it is because um, i i rewatched some of it uh earlier and i don't know like it 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 looked 2.39 to me 
you know, seeing it this morning, but it looked off the last night when I saw it. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, it's I, I, and I, I was I wasn't sure if it might be 2.2 or I, I think it was 2.0 or something in between. It's it funny because be it didn't look 2.0 to me. I don't know. It's it maybe it's yeah. like a, a middle ground of, of you know, 2.0 and. Yeah. 2.2 whatever um yeah. but hey if, if anybody knows for sure what it is uh email us at uh we don't have an email <laughs> to, uh no. talk from you society at gmail or tweet us yeah how about that at marcel j pico at mumbles 3k um but yeah so oh okay so you saw this did did you see this the, the day it came out yeah i watched it that night yeah yeah thursday night yeah which i i couldn't do because uh oh i i just put it on in the background and yes i can't conf- i can't confirm it does not look 2.39 to me it looks a bit wider okay right. um That's yeah good. but uh i i had to wait until last night saturday because uh, we're, we're recording on the 4th of july we're, uh, we're celebrating independence day by talking about steven soderbergh mm-hmm. um uh and talking about maybe his most american movie well we'll talk about that in a second <laughs> um I saw this last night because uh, I had to see uh, Zola on Thursday, and then I just like passed out on Friday. So I saw it last night on Saturday, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I I guess we just get into our initial thoughts. Like, hey, I love this thing. I was blown away. I was like, oh, uh, everybody has been. It's interesting because n- n- let them all talk did not get this reaction on my on my end, like reading social media and reading people's reactions nobody was this excited about let them all talk which was a shame because i love that movie that made my top 10 last year um you know and everybody was saying or some people were saying hey soderbergh's back hey he's he's got another great movie it's been a while the best movie since like oceans 11 Mm. and i'm like come on (laughs) it is great but he's been here all this time like just uh, but yeah i'm happy that people are excited that people do love this movie and it did live up to the hype i was of course like with any soderbergh thing for me you know him being my favorite filmmaker there are like you know experiments there are you know movies that you know tend to not always make a huge impact i accept that with like his you know output you know one to one to two movies a year but this one for sure i was like yes it is another great one um, I mean, the last great one for me, anyway, was like six months ago with um, Let Them All Talk. But still, another great Soderbergh. Uh, in my opinion, that's my opinion. Mike, what about you? Um, yeah, no, I definitely think it, it's good. Um, I, I've watched it twice now. The first time I watched it, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's very complex right oh yeah and like i knew from the beginning when they started like talking about you know these random people or whatever who we don't see until you know halfway through or three quarters of the way through the movie i'm like i know that i'm gonna have trouble keeping all of this straight in my mind you know yeah so so i i got to the end and i'm like oh that's that was good but there is a lot of stuff which i didn't pick up on you know and I went back and rewatched it and, you know, read kind of like the history of the, you know, the events as they unfolded. And, you know, I had no idea what a 
catalytic converter actually did, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so like once I understood the background of it and everything, and once I knew who everybody was, you know, watching it from the beginning, like almost instantaneously, I'm like, okay, I, I get it more now. And, and maybe that's the sign of the movie not working tremendously well. The fact that you have to watch it twice to, you know, fully appreciate it. You know, I mean, Pauline Kael would always say that she'd only watch a movie once because that's how many times the audience was going to see it. And she'd base oh. her, her reviews on that. Um, you know, and there's something to that. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I appreciated it a lot more upon second viewing because I, I understood like everything. Like, I mean, reading about it really helped me even further to understand what was going on because like, I did not know that Studebaker was not based in Detroit and, you know, I mean like all yeah. these little things and it's like, okay, you know, so, so yeah, upon second viewing, I liked it a lot more. And, and I think I'll, I'll probably like it more the more I watch it. That brings up an interesting point about... Well, I, I see Pauline Kael... Of course, Pauline Kael's Pauline Kael. I see her point of view about, you know, seeing a movie once. But that's just not how my brain works. Like, I, I know, like, seeing it the one time, I'm like, yes, I kind... Yes, admittedly, I've only seen it once. Admittedly, that first time I saw it, the only time I saw it, I kind of zoned out when they were talking about, you know, these characters that I don't know and like these connections and like this backstory and like the first like 30 minutes, just all this like exposition. And I'm like, listen, I'm not get, I'm not going to get this right away, but I'll get it eventually, like on the second viewing or, or it'll make more sense at the end. And yeah, my I, I'm always of the mind that. For any great movie, I'll need to see it at least twice. That, that, that's how my brain works. So I'm no Paul and Kale on that front. Um, an interesting thing uh, on that point, too, is like whether that is considered... Um, and this is... I forget who, who said this on, on Twitter, but like um, you could say that that's not uh, hand-holding. Like it's not holding the audience's hand, like guiding it through, like making it easy for for like an audience to you know catch yeah. up. Which I, I see that, and and maybe to your point too, Mike. Like maybe that's more you know the screenwriter's fault that it is confusing. It is it is very convoluted at times. So I don't know. I don't know what my point is. I can see the I can see two points of view on it. Whether it's you know who is it uh ed solomon you know whether it is just so much uh density to the script there's just so much uh convolution going on that it's hard to follow or hey we're not going to handhold you that we're going to let you we just it's 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 like it's you're flying the wall and it's happening you know we don't need to do flashbacks or like really get into like the nitty-gritty of like this uh, uh plot you know the first time you see it so I don't know. I, I I'm kind of on the side of like, I'm okay with like letting it happen and kind of being confused. I compared it to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy because that's how I, how I feel about that movie. Where it's like, I know there's a lot going on. There's it's just it's just moving at a pace where I'm like I can't follow everything. I kind of need like a roadmap. Okay, like like you, Mike, you needed to read about it like later. But I'm just letting the movie go, and I'm enjoying it as I'm also being very confused by it. So that's how I felt the first time I watched it. I liked that experience of like 
being confused. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a, like a middle ground there. I mean, certainly Soderbergh is not one to handhold and is one to, you know, just kind of like let things play out. But you look at like how he does that in a movie like Contagion, oh, yeah. where the, the characters are talking about like science stuff, which no one will understand. But we understand what it is they're saying, you know, like we can still follow along with what that means, even though we don't know what it literally means. We know what it means for the story. Whereas here, I think, you know, the difference is like, if you don't understand what's going on in the story, you know, maybe maybe the movie is not going to, to work as well. So I, I don't know. I, I think... I think there's there's a middle ground there, and and this didn't quite hit that, but you know, on repeated viewing, I did appreciate it more. And certainly, there are people who are like, you know, they don't they don't want it to be, you know. And, and of course, movies are known for over explaining things. I mean, Batman Begins. There's that one guy whose job it is just to explain that when that train gets to the center of the city, it's going to, the whole, you know, water system is going to explode. And he just says that like 17 times in the span of a minute. The guy at the the control center at like the (laughs) water plant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If that keeps on it, you know, it's like, geez, what is this? You know? So, you know, I mean, I don't know. Luckily, there's nobody in this movie saying if they get a hold of this envelope, this is going right. to happen. Right. You, you have to wait until the very end with that crawl to kind of explain what exactly just went on. Yeah. Yeah. And once they did that, I'm like, okay, I didn't pick up on you know, any of that really. And, you know. Interesting that I, I kind of had a head start on what was in the envelope. Oh, I guess we should talk a little bit more specifically about what's going on. So... Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro play these criminals who meet for the first time because they get hired by Brendan Fraser's character, right? Um, And they're teamed up with Kieran Culkin's character to babysit this family uh, who the the father, the husband has to go, is, is like at gunpoint has to go get this envelope from his boss's safe. That's the plot. And then yeah. things go horribly wrong. Um, I knew what it was before uh, I think the movie started because John Ham spoiled this movie last year <laughs> when he was on a podcast, a comedy podcast, um, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like I'm I'm, on, I'm in this new Steven Soderbergh movie, and you know, here's what it's about." And he just tells you like what's in the envelope, who's after the envelope. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, now I already know. Um, and I forgot that fact until the movie started and somebody brought up the envelope. I'm like, oh, that's right, the envelope. Um, but yeah, uh, even knowing that, I was still kind of like, what? what is it exactly? Like, I don't, I, I don't know cars. I don't, I don't know what the Cadillac, con- uh, was it a converter thing is. So, yeah. yeah. But it, it made sense at the end. Yeah, no, it did. And, and you know, I mean, it, it definitely works. There's nothing in it where you're like, oh, the logic behind it is not sound. It's just how that logic is conveyed that is sometimes a little um, confusing. Yeah, a lot of players, a lot of mm-hmm. people wanting this envelope. And um, I don't know, like, um, it, it, it did come together for me when... Uh, I guess we can talk spoilers at this point. Who cares? Yeah, it's, sure. it's on HBO I mean, Max. Please, yeah, yeah, watch it. Watch it. At this point, spoilers. Um, when Matt Damon showed up, yeah, like that—that's when the movie for me 
came together more, especially when he started like spouting this very it it was on the nose, but I appreciated his him very much saying like yes, we're after this thing, but I'm rich, I'm going to give you this money, but I could just make it overnight. Yeah, that whole th- like that I thought that was great. And it it, it it kind of melded everything for me, all these plot points together where it made more sense. I'm like, okay, I, I know generally now who's after it, why they're after it. And yeah, it's it's like, it's it's money and it's uh, um, taking this envelope, which uh, uh, is like for this part that helps, you know, uh, um, battle climate change, but is detrimental to these like... Uh, uh, car companies and they want it basically gone right so yeah it's all money it's money and I was like oh, okay yeah. you, you need somebody like Matt Damon to come in and like do like that Ned Beatty speech and network it's like there you go that's that's what that's what it's all about yeah Matt Damon really loves just showing up in movies yeah uncredited and you know Spe- especially Soderbergh movies like something yeah. can some, I was thinking about this last night watching it something has to be said about like okay, uh, Che he does that. Yeah. Uh, Unsane he does that. No sudden oh, yeah, move. I forgot about that. Um, like, <laughs> is he playing like these? In Che, it's like kind of harder to nail down because like he is like the only American English speaking person in that movie, right? Maybe. Yeah, which w- yeah. which has made me maybe making a point about American imperialism. I don't know. That's my mm-hmm. that's my wild guess of why he's in that movie. Then Unsane, he plays like that therapist or like that that guy who tries to help her but really isn't any help at all. Um, and then yeah. and then yeah, of course, no sun move. He's you know the devil. He's the bad guy. <laughs> but he does it in other movies too. I mean, Interstellar. Oh, that's right. You know, God, he's like <laughs> it's 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 just like he just loves doing that. I wonder you know? if I wonder if it's like if it's him kind of pushing himself in that, or if people are asking him to do a Matt Damon and to show up three fourths into a movie and like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it might be something that he enjoys, you know, yeah. so like when people approach him, he's like, this will be fun. I mean, he must've done it for a Kevin Smith movie at some point. Right. I mean, he shows up in weird, like he's in chasing Amy in one scene, but that was back before anyone knew who he was. Doesn't he show and up in, um, I haven't seen the movie, but doesn't he show up in Jane Silent Bob, um, the new one? He does. Yeah. For like one scene, it's not like an end, like Affleck does the, does the Matt Damon thing in that movie, uh, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if he was in, well, I know he's in like one or two scenes of, uh, he's in like one scene of Jersey Girl, you know, just kind of showing up. But that's more of just like a fun cameo instead of like the whole like, and then Matt Damon shows up and that's when shit gets real, you know, <laughs> which is what happens in these movies. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, not Che so much, but yeah. Maybe not Che. Che, yeah. che, che is, a, is a wonder. Oh, by the way. Here's where I reveal. Yes, uh, and we, we we might have mentioned this. I don't know actually, but maybe it's, this is just like Soderbergh reminding us of this fact that yes, he considers uh, there are movies and there are film. Movies are just like and kind of like this is like kind of Steven Spielberg's definition of it too, because I, I heard him say this almost exact same thing. But movies versus film, movies are more for like a general audience for entertainments. And then compare that to film, it's like 
they those are made to make uh, to uh, to get awards. Basically, that's what Soderbergh said. Yeah. I think on the WTF podcast, um, yes. and Mark Maron asked him, "Oh, what was the last film you made, Soderbergh?" And he said, "Che," which I found very interesting um, because as, as recently I was trying to break down like his. And we've talked about this on early, early episodes, Mike, about, like, his phases, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Che felt like the end of a phase, right? Where, I mean, he said in interviews, like, he doesn't want to make another movie like Che ever again. Like, that just broke the man. So, it makes a lot of sense that he says that's his last, quote-unquote, film that he made. I just found that interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, the reason why he said that, I think he would say that no matter what he's made since, because he... I think has said that he had it in his mind that Che was his, you know, his epic. Che was his Lawrence of Arabia or whatever it was. And then when everyone was like, it's fine, you know, he was like, oh, I guess I shouldn't try to do that, you know. And he's consciously not tried to do that since. But if you look at it, if you take that out and you look at, like, what he's done since, I mean... High Flying Bird. Yeah, I was I was gonna say uh, High Flying Bird feels. I mean, it it obviously didn't get any award because people yeah. are fucking idiots. But that yeah. that if if that were to be released, if that was released in late uh you know late fall winter and mm-hmm. had awards backing, you know was like a, a searchlight picture or something like it would have gotten some nominations because I feel that is an amazing film all in its own and it's also entertaining you know it's it's a movie yeah. film but and the, and the other one i mean this might not count or whatever but i mean and everything is going fine i oh, think yeah. you pretty much have to say that you know is is a film and not a you know whatever yeah of course to me i'm like his last film was oceans 13 because <laughs> everything else since has been digital so you know whatever. <laughs> you have a different yeah definition of what film is versus yeah. uh movie yeah um i know but but th- i don't know th- this could be another film of his i think because it f- i mean it's not as fun as like an oceans movie mm-hmm. um for sure I still enjoy it as much as like an Oceans movie, though. Uh, but it's just it, it. It again, if you were to sell this at Oscar season, I say sell because that's what that's what it is. Um, if you were to put like some ad money behind it, I, I actually don't know if it's even eligible this year for for the Oscars. They'll probably sneak it in like they did with Let Them All Talk. You know, the the the, yeah. the definition is very vague. It's like if you intended to release it theatrically, but you didn't release it theatrically, but you spend X amount of money to put it on this server, then it qualifies. And they did that with Let Them All Talk. And I don't think that they had any intention of releasing that in theaters anywhere. And I don't think that they did with this either. Otherwise, they just would have. But I'm guessing that they're going to do that just for the sake of whatever. Because I think, I, honestly, I think it's a, you know, script problems aside, I think it is a, it is a strong script from Ed Solomon. And I, I think Don Cheadle is incredible in it yeah. as, as the lead. Um, and hey, I'm a big fan of the cinematography, even though people don't like it. Um, like Soderbergh, I don't think has ever been nominated as a cinematographer, right? No. Uh, at the Oscars, which no. is odd to me, but 
I don't know. This again, if you if you market this as like an Oscar film, it I think it would get some nominations. But that's just me. Hey, that's me as like a, a Soderbergh fan. But uh, I don't know. I, I I mean, this movie, I'm still it's still rolling around in my head because it feels very much like he is. This is a stupid phrase, but he's like at the top of his game. He's making a movie that says a lot about what he wants to say in like the films he makes. Again, I was joking earlier, but this is a very this is a very American film. Um, like in those in the opening credits, like when you see Don Cheadle, uh, his character like walking a frame. You also see like these uh, images of like these um, these black families uh, from what I'm, what I'm assuming is of the time because uh, when when is this uh, 1950s Detroit right? And there's that mention about like the the you know black families being pushed out because this land is being bought up and being replaced with i don't know like it, it the, the cities are, were changing um and you see there's like real life pictures of these families and it's 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 like subliminal but like very much in your face by the end like that's don Cheadle. that's his character's like motivation it's like things are changing he wants to get as much as he can before it changes uh from the people who are changing it so i love that about this movie that it, it it goes to what Soderbergh has been kind of driving at, even like with movies like Magic Mike and uh, High Flying Bird, especially. It's yeah, it's it's super smart in that way, and um, I don't know. It hey, this wins the Marcel Pico Award, so I'm gonna give it that. <laughs> All right, well that's yeah. the only the, that's the, the only one the, that matters. The Marcello, yeah. as they call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I I think that. One of the interesting things that this does is, you know, I mean, he's talked about how it's very much a noir and, and everything and yeah. kind of follows those rules and everything, but um, not done, you know, like the good German, like in that style or whatever. But <laughs> I was you know, thinking about that earlier. Yeah. Kind of like <laughs> an updated, you know, aesthetic and everything similar to, you know, what they did with like Chinatown or LA Confidential and, you know, similar to those movies and I guess noirs in general, like it it's one of those things where it starts off as like a small little thing like two guys hired to watch some people at a house right yeah like that's all that it's supposed to be and then you get to the end and it involves you know four of the largest companies in the world uh banding together for decades to you know make sure that they don't have to spend more money at the cost of, you know, the ozone layer. And it's like, <laughs> this is, this is pretty, pretty massive, you know, just like, yeah. you know, with Chinatown and there's the whole thing with the, you know, the water stuff and LA confidential where it's like, you know, uh, a small, you know, traffic stop or whatever it is, which turns into, you know, a whole thing about, uh, the 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 infrastructure of the the LAPD, you know, and and I mean I like that, you know, even you know Watchmen, you know, does that. I mean it's it's like a staple of noir in a lot of ways, and um, I think that they do a really good job with that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I uh, by the end for sure, and again spoilers, like there are so many 
backstabs that I just lost track of who's backstabbing who, which was yeah. which was good because like it is like it is like at its core, it's a film noir, and I I don't even want to. I mean, it. I guess it's like a neo noir too. I guess neo noir sort of takes, but it's hard for me to even describe. It follows the rules of like film noir so well. I can't call it anything but a film noir because, and maybe it is neo neo noir because it takes it to like an insane level of like who's backstabbing who. Everybody backstabs everybody, and if but if you watch like Maltese Falcon or like Kiss Me Deadly, which are two movies I saw for the first time a few weeks ago, if you mm-hmm. see they if you see if you see those movies. Like you get that sense of like everybody backstabs everybody. Like there are like uh, femme fatales and like you know Brendan Fraser is basically you know the the key bad guy you know film noir guy in terms of like like uh, what's uh, like the the presence that he has like Orson Welles right which is amazing. I I love his transformation as an actor now. Like he's he's a, he's very much different from like the mummy he's just a bigger guy but he's like a, on a different level in terms of like oh that's Brendan Brendan Fraser now I'm, I'm with it but saying all that yes it follows that film noir so well that it's hard to call it anything but because it just plays those like like notes just so perfectly in my my opinion like every single turn I'm like that makes complete sense for what this movie is and it never really like it doesn't become overkill for me <laughs> there are points where it maybe does by the end but i'm like you know what we're in this world everybody backsteps everybody yeah i mean neo-noir is such a you know i mean it's just a made-up term like anything else like film yeah. noir is but um you know like i guess i wouldn't really consider this to be neo-noir unless you consider anything made after like the 50s to be neo-noir but like you know to me, the fact that they did go away from the style, um, but not into like something new and game changing. Yeah, I was going to say like, it's not game changing. I think that's yeah. my my definition of like I wouldn't call this neo noir because it really doesn't change the game. Because yeah. honestly, I my only disappointment really about this movie is that it wasn't shot in black and white because it feels like it could have been shot in yeah. black and white. It would have been like maybe even better yeah i i don't i i think he probably was like like consciously was like i want to make it you know moderate i want to step away from the cliches in a lot of ways but you know i mean kind of some, like chinatown you know like that definitely you know the fact that it was in color widescreen you know everything like that like you know that was very much a like let's not do the noir thing and you know something like blade runner obviously you said it in the future right that's that's kind of the same deal and then you know you look at things like i don't know let's just say wild things gotta bring (laughs) bring that up whenever (laughs) of course that's like a neo-noir because it is like it has all those beats it has all those noir beats but it's you know set in you know the 90s and there's you know comedy and whatever you know i, I mean i i think that that that's all like neo-noir this i don't really consider to be neo-noir i i'm gonna play devil's advocate to myself and say maybe the only quote-unquote revolutionary thing maybe the, the camera work 
because yeah. have you do you remember seeing this many dutch angles this like this like this many like tilting cameras in in, in any other soderberg movie because like this feels like he's experimenting that and of course like the wide wide lens that warps the edges of the frame but i'm like yeah he's he's doing things he doesn't normally do or maybe more so now than before because i've definitely picked it up especially there's like moments when i think there's an early there's a scene early on when don Cheadle character confront confront somebody and the, the the camera just tilts as the scene is happening and i'm like that's that's unusual yeah. for Soderbergh because he doesn't necessarily do those like I guess for lack of a better word like flashy camera movies but I, I enjoyed it like if anything he's playing with uh, you know the cinematography and direction like he hasn't before in my opinion anyway I, I don't know how you feel about that Mike yeah I, I think there's in, in some ways similarities to things that he did in like Traffic or The Limey but I think yeah. that like the the, the basis of of the cinematography is completely different whereas like those were like handheld and sort of you know like really kind of like pushing the boundaries uh, like all the way around like this is more you know still and you know calculated i guess so so putting those two together is a little weird or different for him at least what, what else can we say um oh let's talk more about the cast because I mentioned like five people, but there are still like ten other people who are in this cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Hamm, hey, I mentioned yeah. him before. I mean, I mean, he's playing. Well, okay, I was worried he was going to play the same character he played like in the town, right? The detective who comes in, and he's like, "This is the this is the not fucking around crew." Like I was ex- expecting him to say that again, yeah. um, but no. Like at the end, that twist of him being a the crooked cop who you know, is in cahoots with like Matt Damon's character. I like that twist at least like that's a change from, you know, the cop characters he usually plays. So I like that. Yeah. 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 That was interesting. That was one thing which I didn't quite understand still. I mean, I guess he was like, so beholden to these people that he even gave them the $50,000 that, uh, yeah. It like his rationale was like, Oh, it's your money. I, I, I'm like, well, yeah, he's like indebted to them so much that yeah. like he knows the rules. Like he he's not going to take anything from them and he wants to make sure they get all their money back. So uh then he takes that bottle at the end, which was interesting. Like that's I don't know, maybe it's it's layered in so much that I'm like, is he a crooked cop or is he just doing his job in a way where he he thinks what he's doing is right like i don't know it, it, it those beats made me think more about the character than like what you could have done in like a three-hour movie if that makes sense like this movie is like mm-hmm. less than two hours but still like those character beats like make me make me think for longer than like um any other you know any other scene would yeah yeah, yeah. What about, uh, hey, the, the women, Julia Fox, liked her in this a lot. Yeah. Um, Amy, uh, I can not I can never pronounce her name. Uh, Amy Seamitz. Seamitz, right? Yeah. Who worked on, what was it, Girlfriend Experience? Right? Yes. Yes, yes. yes. She's, she's really good. Still have not seen that. I need to see oh, it. Yeah, I, I started watching, I was hoping that I would be finished with season three in time for this, but I'm not. I'm only three oh. episodes in. I'm way behind. I'm still on season one, <laughs> episode <Yeah>. two. 
I mean, it is really interesting how that show like keeps on changing because I mean, and this really I think kind of speaks to Soderbergh's philosophy with these things, which is like just let the filmmakers make their movies. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and it'll be that's you you'll get a better product than trying to micromanage, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, three different. Well, I mean, I guess technically it's season three, but essentially four different stories: one with two filmmakers working together, one with each of those filmmakers, or two with each of those filmmakers working separately, and now season three is a completely new filmmaker coming in and. You're getting a completely different style, you know. They're going uh, kind of um, techno in this, you know. Yeah, There's isn't a little there like, like VR stuff yeah, going on, maybe. Like, so, isn't there like AI stuff going on too, or something? Maybe, yeah. I haven't maybe. gotten that far, but yeah, yeah. There is. I mean, they're they're developing it. Yes, yes. Yeah. They're going that way. So I'm waiting for them to go like full sci-fi in, in a couple episodes here, but uh, I, I should I should catch up on that. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Um, one aspect I did like about this is that not only are people backstabbing each other, you know, at a constant rate. Though I mean, in terms of like their business interactions, um, but also everybody's sleeping like with each other. They're having affairs. Even like the wives are sleeping with each other, which I thought was a good touch. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's like another one of those things where you could have developed that more, right? Because they just had that one scene, the two wives meeting yeah. in in the backyard and it's like at first it's like very slight and it's like very apparent that they have a thing going on and then that's it really they don't have any other scene together they don't really mention that at all which sure like you could have done more with that but the fact that it happened and again it made me think more about it versus I, w- I would have thought the same if they added more scenes is what I'm saying. Kind of like to John Hamm taking that bottle at the end. Yeah. There's just enough there to intrigue you about these all these characters. What, what, what I'm saying is that I love almost every interaction that these characters have and almost every scene that they're in. And they do so much with so little like uh, runtime, less than two hours. So, yeah, yeah. I, I liked that. That uh, even the wives are sleeping with each other. Yeah. 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 What else can we say? Mark? So, I I don't know. I think we pretty much uh, covered it. I mean, it's interesting that he. I mean, he shot this thing during the pandemic. Oh yeah, and it's weird because like you you hear about like you know you 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 hear about people shooting things and and you hear especially like early on where everyone was like what can we do and what can't we do? You know, I know there was a whole thing with like television writers being frustrated because they were like, what do you want us to write? Like, what can we get away with? And you know, they're the, the, the response that they were getting was something along the lines of just be smart about it. And they're like, you can't do that to us. You need to give us ground rules. Like, can we have two people that are standing closer than six feet? You know, you know, like things like that. And it is interesting, like seeing this, I guess the first one that I saw, which really kind of, I don't know, shocked me in a way is, um, uh, Malcolm and Marie, you know, because I haven't seen that yet. No, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but you know, it's like, you hear like, oh, well, you know, we need we need to find a way to shoot something safe or whatever, and, and this is what we can do. And then you watch it, and it's like, 
okay, I get that they're in a bubble and everything, but it's like if either of those actors has COVID, they're both screwed. You, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. And I mean, certainly uh, th- that's the case here too. I mean, it's just interesting, like. I mean, not knowing exactly what their safety protocols were, you know, you come up with something in your mind and this isn't it. It feels like just a normal movie. Yeah. Know? I was, I was going to ask if like, if this felt at all, like it was made during the COVID era and you say no, right? I don't think so. What do you think? I had that in mind, like during two scenes where I thought, huh, why aren't these two characters closer to each other physically? Yeah. But it makes sense in the movie. Okay, one, the other one, maybe not so much. The other one, the second one is the Matt Damon boardroom scene. And I, I, it makes sense that they're apart. You know, him yeah. and Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro. That's fine. But the one scene that made me think about it, but then after this scene, I didn't really think about it at all, was when Don Cheadle uh, met his ex-wife. And they were, he, he went to the house and met like her new husband. And Don Cheadle and the ex-wife were like, feet apart and they never hugged and they never got any closer than that and that's when i thought oh this was shot in the covid era maybe this is an effect of that but then you see later on everybody's like within you know don cheeto's beating up ray Liotta with like a gun later like yeah yeah so but then it makes sense in the story that they don't ever come close like they're separated like they're Mm -hmm. there's like this this she has a new husband there's like this new life between them so i don't know um that's the only real scene i thought if this was not filmed during covid would that scene have gone differently i don't know mm-hmm. so yeah. that, that then, then that's it then the rest i'm like yeah this doesn't feel like it was made during the covid era and soderbergh was smart about keeping all these actors like in a hotel room, you know, quarantined for however long and, and shooting it the way he shot it. So he's a smart guy, I think. Yeah. He's pretty smart. Yeah. 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 And he's got another movie that he shot during COVID, which directly addresses, uh, COVID, um, takes place during COVID and, uh, Oh, oh, I, I, I don't know how much you know about it. Mike, I don't know much. I know it's called Kimmy, and it stars um, uh, uh, Catwoman. What's her name? <laughs> it stars Catwoman. Uh, I actually had this up, and I'm loading it now. Uh, Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Yes, yes. And, and, yes. and it's written by David Cap. Yes. Yes. Uh, actually, I'm gonna look this up real quick. Uh, yes, he was talking about this, and I knew some of this. Um, uh, going in before I heard him discuss it on one of the podcasts he was on. I think he talked about it, maybe not on WTF, but he was, he was also on Happy, Sad, Confused, where he talked about uh, Kimmy. But yeah, let's uh, give you a brief synopsis and people listening, you know, to, 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 to uh, hey, I'm, I'm willing to bet this comes out before the end of the year. That's my oh, bet. Yeah. So, it will. Uh, yes. Um, so Kimmy has to do with, like, uh, as far as I know, like corporate surveillance. Um, sort of think like uh, Amazon and you know uh, and Apple and whatever other big company, whatever big tech company is observing people uh, covertly. And Zoe Kravitz plays somebody who stumbles on some information that uh, is kind of dangerous. Uh, I think somebody described it as like the conversation uh, oh, made yeah. in you know 2021. Um, but an interesting fact that Soderbergh brought up. He, 
<laughs> he made comparisons uh, with uh, two. He made uh, uh, he called Kimmy. You know, this is like so and so film, so and so. He made a few comparisons, right? A handful. I already remember one, Mike. <laughs> he compared it to Panic Room, and I'm like, you've got okay. my attention. <laughs> of course, right. it's, it's it's David Kep, the same you know writer of Panic Room, but still. Yes. So, Soderbergh uh, doing Panic Room in the Age of COVID, starring Zoe Kravitz, written by David Cope. Hey, I'm in. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah. Why not? Right. That's that's exciting. And again, yeah, I, it, we if this comes out by the end of the year. I think, or maybe imagine if we end up doing like four Soderbergh episodes in the span of a year, because we did Let Them All Talk, the Oscars, uh, No Sudden Move, and Kimmy within like a year mm-hmm. span. That's that's wild. Yeah. I mean, that's his thing, right? Yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I mean, he's doing all these movies now. I feel like he's got another TV show in him somewhere down the road it's interesting well i'm excited though um that uh the next season three is 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 more and more likely to happen yeah i I think he mentioned that also in an interview that yeah uh barry jenkins is is still like gunning for it so that's that's good um but again i think that'll be like a girlfriend experience sort of thing where he just sort of just lets them play you know, right. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, I think he just has to find the right project. Maybe he already did. Maybe oh, n- another thing: the Sex Lines of Videotape uh, sequel. Like, uh, oh yeah, he's working on that. Yeah, yeah. In, in a, you know, I don't know what TV project he has, but I know for sure the Sex Lines Videotape sequel. He last thing I heard was like he was uh, he rewriting it. Like he wrote it first draft pretty quick. But he just needs to rewrite it and. He did say that like the, the two sisters, the two leads, would be involved. You know, I don't know if Spader would be involved or um, I forget who plays the husband, but uh, yeah, pa- Patrick or Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he still he still wants to make the sequel, so that's 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 good. That's good news. So we'll see. I mean, the other thing which we'll probably get by the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken, is. Uh, the new cut of oh Kafka. Well, he. I think we have to come back for that episode, Mike, yeah. because yeah. not only that cut of Kafka. I think we mentioned this in the last episode too. Uh, but yeah, he's got that new box set coming out yeah. of uh, I believe new. those seven films that he owns. Yeah, so Schizopolis yeah. will have a, a new cut, right? And yeah. I thought there was one other movie that would have a slightly new cut. I forget, but yeah, but Kafka yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come back for Kafka. The was it the Midnight Cut? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so. there you go. He's uh he's busy. He's keeping busy. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And he and, and, and he if he wants to come back for the Oscars next year, we'll be here too. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Why not? <laughs> not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He he did say he knew you know. It wasn't going to be like universally accepted, you know. Was, yeah. There was no way he was going to uh, either fail completely or succeed completely. So, and I think he got the job done. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. 
Well, I think that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, I think we got the job done. Yeah, I, th- mm. I think we talked no sudden move. I mean, well, I guess quick final thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I love the thing. Um, right now, we're right in the middle of the of the year, and it's it's tied with my number one. Basically, it's this and In the Heights as my number one movie of the year. Okay. And I'll have to make that decision later on about what is my number one. But yeah, this is uh, this is another great one for me. Uh, another great Soderbergh film um, that I'm happy is on HBO Max in Dolby Vision, and I can watch anytime I want. <laughs> and I am upset that Let Them All Talk wasn't in Dolby Vision, which is I just I don't understand. But yeah, I like this trend. Uh, keep it up, HBO Max. Or put more yeah. stuff out in Dopey Vision. Uh, but yeah, that's my final thought on No Sudden Move. Uh, what about you, Mike? Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Um, I, I, I don't think it reaches the heights of some of uh, Soderbergh's other works, uh, but I, I do think that it was a very well-made movie. And um, I, I'm excited to see what he's got coming next. We'll see. We'll see if, uh, if there'll be two Soderbergh films in my top ten list. Um, yeah. this year with Kimmy uh, or the Oscars. Uh, I'll put that in my top 10. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, all right. Well, Marcelo, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me uh, over at talk film society. Uh, the sites of which hosts this uh, podcast series, uh, talkfilmsociety.com. Uh, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash talk film society. For bonuses and uh, to support us, the sites to keep us going, to to pay the bills, so you can have episodes like this. Um, but that's it. Uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm on there more. Uh, Instagram.com/slash Marcelo J Pico. Don't follow me on Twitter. I'm okay. All right, that's it. What about you, Mike? <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage. Uh, we, we haven't really done anything recently, uh, just been kind of caught up in other stuff, you know, but uh, we'll, we'll get back there sooner or later, certainly uh, next month in August when uh, new episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks start up. We'll have audio commentaries for all those. Um, so, yeah, check that out at your leisure all right well that's it for now uh but i imagine we will be back later on this year next week (laughs) next week could be to discuss kimmy 